This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Public.com. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Hey everyone, I am Charlie Shrem, and I have an extra special episode for you today. My friend Jamil from the Irish Tech Podcast is celebrating his 100th episode, and I'm a big fan of independent media, and the fact of the matter is, podcasts are the last form of long-form independent media, where we're not controlled by large corporations or media or governments or stock markets or what have you. And so I was invited on to celebrate the 100th episode for his uh Irish Tech Podcast, and I wanted to share that with you guys. It was an awesome episode. We did a great show, and we got to tell some stories, and he interviewed me about all sorts of topics, about why I got into the space and how I ended up here and all the people that we've met along the way and where we're going in 2022. Enjoy the show, guys. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, bringing you the Crypto Corner where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, you name it, in crypto and blockchain. And this is two things. Number one, it's the final episode of season two. And number two, it's the hundredth episode that I've done this year. So uh, in order, you know, I wanted really wanted to bring you someone very special uh, to crypto and, and, and uh, an amazing guest. And I have done that for you today. Um, his name, well, he is an early an early Bitcoin um, pioneer. He's the editor of Investor Place, and he's the host of Untold Stories. His name is Charlie Shrem. Charlie, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, on your show today. Congratulations on the coveted 100th episode. Most 99.999% of podcasters never make it to this point. So you're already like a dime a dozen. And that means you're doing something right. You have a listenership and you have a great show. Congratulations. And it makes my heart sing because like you, podcasting is my full-time job. I'm, I'm my show Untold Stories. And, and when other podcasters are, doing, are, are successful, it allows us to, to know that we can continue doing this without having to get another job or do something else. We can be full-time podcasters. Let's kick it off then. Uh, first question I ask everybody, so I think for one person is um, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Oh, man. Um, I was actually just thinking the other day that I love being a podcaster and I'm wondering if it took a decade of me being in Bitcoin and crypto to get to this point of doing something that I actually feel like for the first time in my life that I'm good at. A lot of people will say, what do you mean good at? You're ha you've had a very wildly successful career I started in Bitcoin getting involved in 2011 and had uh, started BitInstant with, with my uh, business partner at the time. And uh, we were the first, uh, one of the first Bitcoin exchanges. We were the first uh, venture-backed Bitcoin startup in the world ever that existed. But more importantly, we were, a, we were a team of 30 people that worked in an office and we get to work full-time on Bitcoin in 2011. And in those years, it felt like we were playing with just magic internet money and we didn't really know what we were doing, but we were having a lot of fun. And since then, I've had crazy ups and downs. We've had to shut down that company. I launched the Bitcoin Foundation. I ended up getting arrested and spending a year and a half in federal prison back in 2014 because, uh, you know, a lot, and we'll get into all those stories, uh, in, I'm sure, in a little bit. And then since then, I've taken multiple companies public, uh, have been the launch pad of so many successful projects. And now I'm a full-time podcaster. And like you have 
doing hundreds of episodes and and I love what I do and and uh, my favorite thing is I launched the crypto investor network a year and a half ago and I have over like 40 something thousand uh, readers who are constantly on top of uh, our research and and what we're doing and kind of like trailblazing with us in that forest and 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 having fun along the way that's the best thing having fun doing it you know I want to find out your your, your you just mentioned it you said we're going to get into it you know, uh, you have a Bitcoin story, which includes you know, a year and a half in, in prison. I want to find out more, more information about your story. The early Bitcoin years uh, were, were the Wild West, and they were a lot of fun. But at the same time, there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of throwing shit at the wall to see kind of what sticks. Because at the end of the day, we were all having fun with it. And, if, and Bitcoin wasn't really worth much. So if it failed... It just we we the only people that we were failures to were to each other, and we were already the people that got involved early. We were kind of the misfits in the traditional sense of the world, not people that easily fit into pro social society. Uh, I can't speak for everyone, but I had difficulty making friends in school growing up and things like that. A lot of anxiety, and so the Bitcoin community was the perfect community because I wasn't afraid of failure. Uh, we were all doing something together, and I was. 20 years old and it was a lot of fun and this thing kind of grew and grew and got a lot bigger than we thought it would be at first um bitcoiners hung out on uh, bitcoin talk forums we hung out in chat rooms we uh there was no crypto twitter didn't exist no one ever used the term crypto or blockchain it was all bitcoin i think these years were like 2010 to 2013 after that things kind of changed um and so when when I remember I actually wanted to, there were free Bitcoin faucets. You can go and you can get a few Bitcoin, five or six Bitcoin for free and to play around with it because you wanted to join the ecosystem, like how people want to play with NFTs today. They want to play with different tokens and things like that. It was the same thing with Bitcoin, but it was hard to get more than five or six Bitcoin for free. You'd have to like sell something or figure out a way. There were no exchanges. There was one place that you can go called Mt. Gox in Japan, and you can wire money to some guy's personal bank account and and do it that way. But it wasn't, you know, the way an industry, an ecosystem, a marketplace was going to ultimately ultimately be successful. So I met a guy in the forums, a guy in Wales, and we started uh, BitInstant, which was the uh, a way for people to buy and sell Bitcoin at over like a million locations in the U.S. and around the world. We had partnerships with like Walgreens, CVS, Walmarts, all these different convenience stores. And so all of a sudden, at the time, I think we had like 30,000 customers, like tens of thousands of people can walk into a store and buy Bitcoin to join this little community. And that's really all it was and all it needed. And so in those in that two-year span, you saw things like Coinbase launching. You saw different projects and different type of like Namecoin, Litecoin, Feathercoin, all these different peer coin, Piper coin, all these different. If you look at the coin market cap of like 2011 or 12, it was very different than what it looked like today. It was a lot of experimental proof of work type of forks. There were no ICOs or tokens. Ethereum hadn't been invented yet. It was still a very experimental tech community. Uh, but things got very big very quickly. The prices of things of Bitcoin started going up a lot. Government came out with uh, new rules and regulations and everything kind of changed. And so overnight, I think BitInstant became a company that was allowed to exist, playing around with airline miles and being just kind of this fun tech company to all of a sudden 
within one day we were reg- we were uh, regulated the same way as a bank would be regulated. So I, I went from the CEO and cleaning the toilets. I was also the compliance officer, and obviously that was a bad idea because I was a young kid and I let someone uh, buy Bitcoin from our company who I knew was then going to go on like Silk Road and resell those Bitcoin. And at the time, you had this crazy nascent community or whatever. And so obviously, you know, when you're when you're a regulated company, you, you have to uh, note suspicious type of reports when I didn't. And so I went to federal prison for for a year and a half. And when I got out, I didn't know if Bitcoin would even be a thing. I honestly was like, will I have a job? What will I do? Does Bitcoin exist? You don't have... People would like mail out, like the way I would get my information was people would print out the front page of reddit.com and send it in the mail to me. So I'm getting the front page of Reddit where I can't even click on the links two weeks late. How are you supposed to be a part of like a trailblazing Bitcoin world, you know, when you're sitting in prison? So I wasn't sure what I would do when I got out. And then I got out and the whole world changed. I uh, I joined in 2017 and that was the time when, uh, during the ICOs and and announcements were made every week and I had to keep shifting my business. I shifted it out of business. So uh, it's good to be here with you today and, and uh, you know, talk about podcasts. You have an amazing podcast. Uh, it's called untold stories. You know, what is the focus of the podcast and you know, what have been some of the most intriguing interviews you've done today? Cause I'm sure there've been a bunch. That's, that's a great question. I, people ask me that I need to like, going back and really think about which were my favorite episodes, but I think my memory will be jogged. So I started, so when I got out of prison, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but it turns out that the crypto space, and I had all of a sudden I'm hearing this term like blockchain, you know, I went from being like, they called me the Prince of Bitcoin back pre-prison to when I got out, the industry was like huge. And I very seriously questioned my place within it. I didn't want to come back with an ego and say, oh, I want to be a part and be a CEO again and run the space. And I was like very concerned. I didn't tell anyone I had gotten out of prison for like six months just because I didn't want to be very careful with, with kind of what would my future be here? I am. I'm like 25 years old. I left New York. I'm being released. I'm in Pennsylvania. I have less than $20,000 to my name. And I was very lucky because in those years, uh, 2016 was when I got out. The Bitcoin space became the not just Bitcoin space, but it became the crypto space and Ethereum and all these other projects. I was getting involved in Steam and all these other bit shares and really cool projects in the early days. I still call those days the early days because right now is the early days. But <clears throat> the industry welcomed me back with open arms and I was able to start building and growing and starting companies again. I started working. I ran full time and I ran uh, the Jack's wallet, one of the largest wallets that was around it's still around now till today and then in 20 <clears throat> um i started to invest in a lot of different projects and do work with voyager and different companies but then i realized that my true love was educating and i loved my favorite thing was getting on stage and talking to people and really like i just love this thing in a geeky nerdy way that when i get to do a podcast or get on stage that makes me not feel bad about being geeky and loving it. I just get to express that passion and love. So I started Untold Stories in 2018, which was an idea of like bringing the OGs and the old stories and merging it with what's going on now, because maybe just maybe there are like common threads and weaves that we can kind of bring together and use that in our investment thesis, make money on it, uh, but just have fun too. And so we did 200 and 
almost 250 episodes now. Um, and I think actually one of my favorite episodes was my hundredth episode because um, I had <clears throat> another podcaster. Isn't it funny that on your hundredth episodes, I never have other podcasters on my show, but on my hundredth episode, I had who I considered a great podcaster, Peter McCormick, who runs the What Bitcoin Did. And it was a great show. We did like a two-hour show, and I loved having someone else kind of interview me because I don't get to talk enough about myself on my own podcast. I'm always interviewing other people. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't talk too much about myself a little bit, but um, you know, my my guests are the are the men and women who are in the game on the in on the field, you know, on you know, playing in the arena, right? So um, I always want to hear from them. Um, so, you know. Because I interview many founders and entrepreneurs, and and you know there are certain themes like that I um, seek, like resilience and perseverance and tenacity, right? You have a different take on things, and you 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 know find people with interesting stories. So how do you see yourself in their experiences, and what are some of the traits that you that you find yourself you know matching with them? It's funny. There's a great trait that I started to notice with with like very, very high powered, uh, project creators, wealthy people. Um, every, almost every guest on my show has a, a very similar trait and actually make, I, I, <clears throat> I look at myself and I wonder, and, and, and I want, I'd like to have this trait more, but everyone is hyper, hyper confident in what they're doing, but in what they're not doing. They have almost no confidence. So it's like you can have someone who can brilliantly invest, invent a new consensus algorithm, but it can't hold a conversation at a party because they're an introvert. Uh, and that's just a very extreme example. Um, I'm very sad. I was telling my wife last night, I was like, oh, I'm nervous for a Christmas party because I got to talk to 100 people. And I'm like, I get a little, I'm, you know, I remember I grew up having trouble made friends. So a lot of folks in this space portray this confidence level and you look at them on crypto twitter you look at them in person and you i want to be like them i wish i was as confident as these people but what i try to remind those other people is these people are just very confident in what they're good at and what they know they're good at and what they know they're doing but most of them have imposter syndrome just like you and i and that's like a huge trait that i think if you can harness that energy you can be very successful in what you want to do interesting I know I'm not good in a lot of things. There might be a few things, yeah. but I'm not, I don't know. I'm not that good in them either. But just admitting that, that is, that is very important because most people have the cream cheese effect where they believe that the bagel size is unlimited and they're an unlimited amount of cream cheese and you can spread it on that bagel. But most people spread themselves too thin. As long as you can recognize that and you can harness that power and energy, you won't spread you. You like that. I love bagels. I'm hungry. I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> I love analogies. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com. It's a super awesome community where they take your private your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto bitcoin all different coins and tokens and also stocks bonds etfs equities and it's all done in the same place 
what I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, life, gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners, today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app, $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories, valid for US residents, 18 plus only, subject to account approval. And make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures. There's no investment advice here. These guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos, all together. Make sure you check it all out public.com forward slash untold stories. Today's world, Bitcoin, you know, still early days, right? It's a little bit, a little bit later on now, institutions have arrived. Um, and so it's considered yeah, digital have. gold, you know, to, to, to attract the institutions, you know, um, and, you know, as a digital gold, it's, you know, ways and means to maybe soften the, the risk, right? Uh, associated with Bitcoin. So how do you, how do you see the institutional involvement um and you know what how does that align with your with what you're up to with the bitcoin foundation and investor place well like you said it's solving the global trust deficit so you have and we didn't really it didn't really affect our pocketbooks until 2009 but over the past few decades there's this been centralization of trust and those who we allow to charge us money for that trust, whether it be, or people, we allow them to make money off of that trust, whether it be the social networks that we have modern day. to so the invention of the credit card. I mean, if we look at the credit card when it really took off in the eighties, we trust one company with our whole financial world. And that was a big change. Centralization of trust came to a, a headwind in 2008 during the great, you know, the great recession, the global recession your your listeners especially the irish tech news podcast you know ireland was one of the the, the craziest hit countries during that time during the the global uh, uh the great financial crisis and i kind of look at all of this and the invention of bitcoin as solving this great great trust deficit that we've been building and so we've been trusting those who shouldn't be trusted or have been like abusing that and so these technologies that we're building and it started with just Bitcoin, but it's all of them. And at people, it also answers the question of when we'll reach mass adoption. But if everything we do today that involves any type of trust in the, the those basic, basic level down to you and I getting our mortgages where we have to have a, we have to trust physical people or it's like our cities down to we're doing this podcast together right now. The data from your room to my room, there's probably 15 companies that are making money from the data right now between you and I. But when this show is finally be able to done on a web 3.0, as we call it, whereas we own this data through decentralized data clouds and things like that, that is solving that global trust, trust deficit. And the way you incentivize that is through like token economics. How? Well, because... The way before was the people who would make the most money of most money from it were the centralized parties, the centralized parties, the businesses, you could invest in them. You can buy shares of 
MasterCard or banks on a stock market. You don't have a lot of shareholder rights, but essentially you'd be able to buy pieces of these uh, companies and so you can have a piece of that. But now that's all changing because it's fully decentralized and distributed with tokens and the future of NFTs and the ability to own pieces of protocols. You're owning like pieces of the software and you also own pieces of the gas that makes the software run. And it's not like there's one centralized person that says this is how it has to run. It's like a decentralized system. And I know I'm using a lot of these terms like decentralized a lot, but it's not a complicated thing to understand. I kind of look at it like, imagine you have a large piece of land and you have one wind farm, right? Generating a hundred cubits of wind. I don't know how you measure wind. You know, the electricity garnered for wind, let's just say it's 100 wind units. Uh, if you had instead of a, one making 100, if you had 100 different units spread across that land, each generating one or two units, that's a decentralized distributed type of system. Imagine if that worked. But imagine if instead of the connections working in one centralized way where all of those different, you know, wind farms have to talk to each other through a centralized piece of software or protocol. Now, with the new technologies that we're building on top of blockchain technology, all of those individual wind farms are decentralized, autonomous so uh, organizations running their own software, publicly verifiable, and talking to the other ones in a decentralized way. And it's like beautiful to look at. Yeah, so you, you let me bring this up because a lot of people don't know this. Course, um, of course and, and i hate to i hate to bring up bad memories <laughs> but you were my you were supposed to be my guest on uh, a war games event that dr drew miller and i put together in 2017 and dr drew miller and i mm. were both horrible were horrible marketers right we couldn't market this event we, we couldn't do it um and you know um and i'm sorry I've, that no i've had more failures than success that's the thing we're always highlighting our failure. Go to my Wikipedia. You can see all the companies that I've tried to start and not been able to. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it, uh, I, I'm a felon. I mean, people look at me and, and, and they try to like, oh, I want to be like him. It's like, yeah, I, I want to be like you. Well, when we were marketing that event, I had a whole bunch of people near me, living near me, who were the traditional hedge fund guys. And they didn't like me. But guess what? You and I are here today talking and they're not here. So, there you go. Um, you know, but through FUD, through people who, who, uh, have predisposed concepts of who people are, you know, with the, with, with China, with regulatory, all this stuff going on. Right. Um, is this, is the world ready for a war game and, um, how can Bitcoin be used? Is it, are we headed toward war or headed toward peace with Bitcoin? Oh, that's a scare. I'm reading a book. I'm reading a new book by, by Ken Follett right now. Um, and it talks about like how little things can create like a global World War Three, And it's scary how, yes, small things. But I don't think we're going there because we're in a very globalized world where it's funny, like most heads of state, their kids are probably holding some sort of crypto or they're doing crypto themselves. So that's where we're going. It's a very globalized world. Um, will war go away? No. Globalized war, I hope not. Economic war, probably. Trade wars, yeah. Informational war, I mean, it's happening right now. We just don't know about it. 
the fact that we're even able to podcast and not worry about getting canceled or you know our our a uh, 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 show getting turned off the air or shadow banned is a positive thing in and of itself, right? Like there's very little media out there. There's almost no I can't think of any long form content out there today that's independent anymore except for what we do. It doesn't exist. There's no more independent media. It's gone. All of the small local channels that you guys watch, just wait till the end when you watch local news. Wait until it's over and it tells you who owns Nexstar or one of these publicly traded massive hedge funds that pump out stories from a Slack room. It's all the same. And my next question is one that 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 it leads into the next one following it, but I'm tired of propaganda and I'm better. A whole bunch of my listeners are, and a lot of my friends are tired of propaganda. And I saw some propaganda um, and I'm going to bring it up. Um, this is the, there was this, this is from the ministry of China. Okay. Um, and this was on December 14. A, a speaker said the era in which the U S acted arbitrarily in the world under the pretext of democracy and human rights is over right now. I can see that with the China, if the Chinese won became a global reserve currency, I can see how that makes sense. Could you? I mean, I don't understand where this whole trade war really started. And I, and I, and I know I'm ignorant in Chinese history. So it seems like over the next decade or so, it's going to be like China, us, China, us. And we, we forget about some other places like, like India, for example. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of other people living in a lot of other places in the world other than the U.S. and China. Um, but I think we need to understand China's history. And a lot of people are ignorant, myself included until recently, in understanding, you know, we all learn things when we grow up as children. And we all uh, go to school for hopefully 12 years, maybe longer. And we understand the history of the places that we're from. China has had this history of like a century of humiliation going back like year, hundreds of years, starting from, I don't even know, but there was like, I feel, I feel like in the late 1800s when they had to start basically giving up all of their land, they call it like the century of, of humiliation. And I'm still, my ignorance is coming out here. And this was when like the imperialist world kind of like used China as its lapdog. Now, forget the facts for a second. Well, not forget the facts, but forget the conversation of like, did that really happen? What happened? How? Blah, blah, blah. Forget that. This is what is, is in the minds of billions of people that are being raised today. And the problem is in American schools, we don't even teach that. We don't teach the, the things that other people are being taught at the same time. We grow up with this ignorance. And what I didn't see growing up too and it really scares me is that people are no, are trying to influence their local boards of education. They're trying to add things to textbooks, take things away. Oh, we don't want to teach abortion. We don't want to teach the history of Native Americans in America. We don't want to teach Aboriginal. We don't want to do. That's all bad. So it's like I talk about information war, propaganda. It's like a really big problem. 
And the reason that crypto and this technology is bringing it all back together is it enables us to work together on a global scale without having to trust the financial systems of specific countries where those specific countries' financial systems can censor us. Or if we live there or if we have our families that live there, we don't have to live in fear of our families being taken in the middle of the night. I agree. So what if the yuan or the U.S. dollar were not the global reserve currency? What if it were Bitcoin? I think that's happening. Uh, you know what's crazy? And and modern economists won't really acknowledge it at all. But over the last 10 years, I think uh, the last five years, and this is why I don't call myself an economist, because I get laughed at. I have a strong belief that the dollar has become more of a commodity than a currency over the last five years. And especially that people are looking at money very differently now. People are looking at money very differently and are willing to potentially not use something like the dollar as the default or not just a dollar, but a currency in general, a fiat currency. So fiat currency has become a commodity. And do you know why? Because commodities have to compete with each other. So now the dollar is falling into this basket where it has to compete with other commodities too. That's not a bad thing. We need to have monopoly. We need to not have monopolies. We need to have constant competition with everything. So say Bitcoin were adopted as a reserve currency, right? So then you got really two main things to set in. One is fear, right? And two is inquisitiveness, right? So with the fear, you know, what would we tell people who are afraid that things are going to change, life's going to change, they're going to change. How do we how do we lessen their fear? And then I'll get into the next question. Yeah, it's I how do you lessen how do you lessen your fear? I totally get that because right now we're probably not even in the first inning of this thing. You know, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, NFTs, there's a lot like what the hell is going on? What is this? How does it affect me? And with when you don't understand something, uh, and other, especially when other people are making money off of it and you're not, you immediately become hostile. So your first reaction is like, it's easier to come up with a reason of why this is bad than for me to come up with a reason of why I like it, how to come up with my own edge to make money off of it. Cause then I can be, you know, validated by my co-friends and family at the family dinner table. I want to be able to talk about it. Either I'm going to talk about why it's bad. Or I'm going to talk about how I made money from it. There's no in between. Cause at the end of the day, like a lot of us, we have egos and we want to be a part of something. So I always implore people that are scared. This is so big now, but it's so early that you can literally choose. Just throw, like take a print, a map out of the whole crypto world, put it on a wall. Throw something at it, pick one niche and just become like hyper proficient in just that. And you're automatically at a hyper advantage over everyone else because most people aren't doing that. Most people aren't doing that. Become, I, I'm looking to hire people for all sorts of things that are very proficient in specific things because I find myself buttering myself too thin. I'm, I find myself where I can't know everything about everything. Great. And then the uh, that addresses the fear, but then the inquisitiveness, you know, um, a lot of people say, what's there to do with There's nothing to do with Bitcoin, right? What do you see possible if we embrace the Bitcoin blockchain for humanity, really, for, for being able to, to, to grow and, and 
improve the quality of the planet. There's so many different aspects of how this technology can fundamentally change uh, everything. And I don't just mean like the ability to bring ourselves and our families from one social class to the next out of poverty, become wealthy, middle class. I'm not just talking about opening up the world on a global scale where the guy who cleans sewers in India can now compete on the same intellectual and financial level as hedge funds on Wall Street in New York City. Forget that. <laughs> Forget all that for a second. I'm talking about Bitcoin mining being the most, because of Bitcoin mining, we have the most rapid advancement of technological and an efficient green change for the world. People are going to look back and say, if it wasn't for Bitcoin, the carbon footprint of the world will be so much higher without Bitcoin. Right now, it's the opposite because you have the naysayers. You have the ones that are going to be... We're talking about all other blockchains. We're talking about smart cities. We're talking about the ability to have like a non-fungible token that represents your residency of a city and then you being able to like vote on behalf of yourself in a fair way without you leaving your home, but knowing that the votes are actually being done in a transparent way. I mean, we're talking about removing graft and corruption, the supply chains for bananas that come from South America, how much slave labor is involved in Africa and diamonds. I, I the, the sky's the limit if we, and, but the thing is everything I just described is happening. Billion-dollar businesses are building out the technologies to do exactly what I just said. But there's no rush. There's no rush. It's going to take a few years. There's no rush because the smart people in the room have realized that this technology is how we build the next wave of human change. Human change, you know, socioeconomic change, uh, how we look back. When we look back in two decades from now, when we look back at us now and we say, Oh, we were primitive humans back then. We're going to say, what changed that? Blockchain technology. That's what changed everything. Christmas is coming up. And um, a lot of the people in ancient, I guess the ancient were like 12th century Rome created shrines 1,200 years later. So 1,200 years from now, people are going to look back at what? About, about Bitcoin. I don't know because so many of our of our, of our like fundamental technologies we don't really know we don't really look back at the backgrounds like for example the printing press printing press to me was arguably the most important invention of the last 500 years I know everyone's going to I'm going to get emails saying like sliced bread yeah that too I love sliced bread no there are a lot of amazing inventions well, let's look at the printing press for a second if we look at the literacy rates of the world, which which didn't really take a lot of uh, data because to prove my point, most people didn't ever need to learn how to read and write. Literacy rates, one out of 10 could read and write on a most basic level. And even that number, I, I think is, I mean, I read a lot. I'm a student of history and I think it's more like one in a hundred people can like read and write with proficiency. And we're talking about, you know, in the year, in, in the 500s, you know, post post year zero. So the last like 2000 years, um, people couldn't read and write. All the information came from religion, kings, queens, information was centralized. In fact, you know, Christianity was, you know, if you were living in a Christian dominated area, if you were caught, if you were caught copying the Bible, 
You know, even word for word, by hand, you'd be hung. You'd be killed. That's blasphemy. You ask yourself, what? I'm copying the Bible. I'm spreading religion. I'm spreading the faith. No, because the idea of information not being controlled by the kings and the queens and the church was like, that was so scary. It's so scary to, to them back then to, for their fundamental like power structure that they would be willing to kill for it right, and punish people. It's the same thing that's happening today, by the way, with crypto. The powers, the, the powers that be silently realize how big of a deal this is. So all of a sudden, the printing press gets invented in, in, in the Netherlands at the time, that area. And the printing press gave people a very cheap and easy way to take content, which were books at the time, and, and copy it, mass produce it, and make multiples of it. And then at the same time, this device, the printing press, could be exported to the far corners of the world. And not the materials, but how the printing press was built. You can have materials from anywhere in the world. So the blueprints of the printing press were actually the most counterfeited and copied, not counterfeited, the blueprints for the printing press was at the beginning was what they used to print on the printing press. They were just printing the blueprints to build more printing presses on the printing press. And then the other most published book was the Bible. So here we have people using the printing press to print the more of the book that they're being killed for printing by hand anyways. Printing press was illegal. You couldn't do that. So I'd actually like to study the history of like the printing press a little bit more. But you look at literacy rates just not even 50 years later. And all of a sudden, it just dramatically changed. I mean, it brought upon the Renaissance. People were able to learn to read and write. It just massively changed everything. Information got decentralized. Yes, it led to a lot of bad information, too. Let's look at the information that came out of, of, of the printing press. You had rumors that would start holocausts. You would have millions of people being killed over false books like Elders of Zion and things like that. But you also had a lot of good. So technology brings about good and bad. You asked a question like people who are afraid of these technologies. Technologies bring good and bad. But over the long term, they're always better for humanity. Awesome. So it's been a great, great conversation. It's been a great interview. I I, I really appreciate it. I, I love speaking with, 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 with you and I, I love your integrity and ethics and intelligence. Um, and, you know, if I ever have a war game again or an event, you know, um, I have no hesitation who to call. <laughs> so, so much. Uh, you're welcome. So uh, I do have one final question. Um, it's this is how can people find out more information about you, about what you do? Uh, how can they listen to untold stories? Um, how can they request to be a, a guest on untold stories? <laughs> Anyone can check out untoldstories.com or wherever you get your audio. You can listen to the show. Uh, my email address is on untoldstories.com, or you can check out our our uh, family office website at suncoastportfolio.com to see kind of the projects that we're working on and things that we're doing. But I'm a very accessible person. So um, anyone who reaches out, if, if you think you'd be a good guest or whatever, uh, please reach out and get in touch. And thank you so much. Congratulations, I hope, to be back on your 200th episode talking about what a crazy 100 episodes it's been. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you.